0: So after the last few times that I've had the opportunity to preach, I've been preaching on the book of Galatians, and today's going to be no different at all. I don't want to break that streak. And I think, uh, I didn't like, intend for this to become a, a long, disjointed series that started back in December, and then I think it was March or April, and, and then today. I didn't intend for it to become a long and disjointed series, but for some reason, God has kept the book of Galatians in the forefront of my thinking, and I think he's doing that because he's challenged me spiritually. And I think part of that appeal that, that I have to the Book of Galatians is that sometimes it takes, at least for me—I don't know if this is true for you guys—sometimes it takes a very firm voice and a strong rebuke in order to get your attention. Is anybody else like me, or am I the only one in the room? Amen. All are like that too. That's not a good thing. So don't amen it. We shouldn't take that. Like uh, I think it was a couple of months ago, my mom called me and she called me up on the phone and she was like, she's like, John. You look bloated. I was like, thanks, Mom. You know, things, she's way sweeter than I make her sound right now. She was way sweeter. She's like, John, you look bloated. You need to eat uh, or drink less pop and eat less ice cream. I'm like, thanks, Mom. And that's the kind of like strong, you know, firm voice, still loving and kind, but kind of giving you that truth right where it hurts. And, uh, you know, kind of doing youth ministry thing, my, you know, my whole professional career and, and ministry, uh, Mountain Dew is like my go-to. And uh, I just don't drink Mountain Dew anymore, anymore, which is part of, I think, why I'm a little bit on the sleepy side this morning. So I gave up. I I took my mom's words to, uh, you know, advice to heart, Uh, changed my diet in a dramatic way. Although I got to confess that I felt a little bit guilty last night uh, because as I was eating ice cream going through my notes, I dropped a little piece of the chocolate syrup on my notes. And so uh, it's just a, a constant reminder about the, the failure, you know, the, uh, of my good intentions and the failure, even though, I've, you know, I'm trying the best I can. So in the same way that, uh, in the same way that my mom c- called me and talked to me, uh, Paul is talking to the church in Galatians, to the Christians there, and he's giving them that firm buke and a warning and he's telling them, he's telling them that their bad theology is affecting their lifeology and is creating a huge messology. That's the way it's going down, and he's he's not liking it. So that's why he's so firm. So go ahead and open up to Galatians chapter 5, and we're gonna be looking at specifically verses 16 through 15. And leading up to this passage to give you a little bit of context, Paul is hitting on two main points. And we're gonna do a little bit of review, but this is the last two times I was preaching. This is kind of what we were we were talking about. The first point that Paul really is hitting hard on because it's the basis and foundation of everything else that he's logically building up to. He says, uh, point one, is no one is justified uh, by works of the law. That's like elementary school theology right there. That's been in like the cliff notes of theology ever since the Protestant Reformation. That's like, that's like solid core stuff. You just can't get away from that. Uh, Paul says this in Galatians 2.16, it's key verse. He can't state it much more plainly than this says, no one is justified by the works of the law. You can't say it any easier than that. Elementary school theology. This has been in the, uh, uh, again, this is kind of the forefront of our theological thinking. No one is justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. That summarizes the first point. Not saved by works. Second point is no one is sanctified by the works of the law. And this one's a little bit harder concept, I think, for us to like grass. This is kind of like high school theology a little bit more. And Paul states this truth in the form of a question. And he starts off in Galatians 3, 2 through 3, and he says, Let me ask you this. Again, he's asking the question. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? We just established that, he had established that fact earlier, so this is just review. This is basic teacher, you know, uh, just the way they, they work. They ask a question just to quiz them on what they just learned. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? He says, are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now trying to be perfected by the flesh. Perfected is another uh, you know, word for being sanctified. It's becoming to look more like Christ. Our life is changed after salvation to reflect Jesus in our lives. So essentially the idea is if you aren't saved by works, why are you trying to live out your new life in Christ by works after salvation? It doesn't happen. And I wanna clear up any confusion because we keep talking against the law, and Paul is actually talking a lot against the law, because the law is worthless in a certain sense, in the sense that it doesn't lead us to justification. But I'm not preaching the law. I'm not preaching against the law. It's not bad. It serves a purpose. God says that it's God-ordained, and he says it has righteous requirements to the law. It helps to magnify our sin, not in the sense that we're making something small look big, but we're actually looking at something that's huge, and it's helping us to look and see the impending doom that's coming from our sin. That's what the law does. It helps keep sin in check, and it is a guardian uh, to just in our lives. This law is super, super good. And this is where I want to start transitioning. As this question is, is, the why is, why is Paul really railing on the law so much? Why is he giving the law such a hard time? And I want you guys to get this. The law in and of itself, lacks the transformative power to accomplish God's goodwill and plan in his people and in his church in the world. Does that make sense? The law in and of itself lacks transformative power in our lives to accomplish God's will in the world through his people and through his church. To illustrate this, I don't think it's really hard for us parents to, to just imagine this scenario, but you know how it is when you, when you tell your kids to do something. And I like to think that when I tell my kids to do something, that it's normally good. Like, kids, pay attention, I'm talking right now, look at me, yeah. over here. It's usually good, it has a good purpose and a good meaning to it, although sometimes I'm a little lazy and I tell them to do something that really I'm supposed to do, I admit it. It's not always good like God. But as soon as I, I tell them to do something, and you guys have done this too, and your parents have probably experienced this with you, so don't like, put it all on your kids. But have you ever like, told them, like, clean your room? And while you're standing there, what do they start doing? Well, most, sometimes. <laughs> Good kids. They'll start cleaning. They're, they're actually, like, trying to pretend like they're, like they're trying, trying to do it. They're actually pretending like they're, uh, you know, they're, they're going at it and, and they're cleaning up. But then as soon as I like turn away and as soon as I leave the room, what starts happening to my kids? Yeah, they go back exactly doing whatever that they were doing before. And this is the, this is the crazy thing is that in the, in the same way that policemen, you know, if the policeman's not there, what are you guys doing? You're speeding. You know you are. So in the same way, in the same way, that the law is dependent upon the power and the presence of the lawgiver. In exactly the same way, Jesus, he restored on the cross, he destroyed the power of sin that separated from a just and holy God and he tore the dividing veil in two. And this is the reason why. So that the power and presence of the great lawgiver and his life-changing transformative power could be evident in our lives. Because as soon as the lawgiver you know that has that life-changing transformative power, as soon as that present is removed by our sin and that separation from God, we will do whatever we want. That's just the nature of things, that, that's how it works. And this is the big idea, and star this, this is the big idea that we've got to capture hold of, is that God has not called us to a life of following the law. But a life walking in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. We're going to be hitting on that hard this morning. Life walking with the Spirit, which is not not only fulfills the law, but allows God's fruit to be born out in and through our lives. But what does that mean? And this is the hard thing because it's it's almost like one of those intangible realities. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? I mean, if, if you just go around and asking people, you know, this, they'll, they'll kind of just repeat things, you know, words and phrases, which is good that the Bible already says, you know, it means to be led by the Spirit, it means to follow the Spirit, it means to live by the Spirit. But it's like, what does that really mean in our lives to be led, to walk with the Spirit? I mean, you don't go around walking in spirits. Most of the time, I hope you don't. You know, that's not other spirits, not God's spirit. You know, you're not, it's not something you would normally experience and do in life, and so it's hard to find like examples and illustrations to be able to show us what that looks like. It's hard to do, but we, what we know from what Paul said earlier is that it is not checking the boxes. This is not getting up each morning and every day, checking the boxes of I didn't do this, but I did do this. That is following the law, and that law leads to death. It leads to death, like Romans 8, 3 says, for God has done what the law was weakened by the flesh. It was weakened and it could not do. God did by sending his own son. And when he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins, Jesus was accomplishing something bigger than just rising from the dead. He was, he was, he was tearing down that wall of separation, and separated the, the great lawgiver and life transformative power in God and his spirit. He broke down the, the wall so that God's spirit could pass through that barrier and come and then dwell his people. So there's no longer that that uh, it's, it's a scenario where God's like, hey this is the law, but he separated us from by our sins. And he steps away and we just do the same thing we've always been doing and, and we're, we're enslaved by our sin. Paul tells us, he's like, if you guys stick with the law, this is review again too, he's like, this is what it looked like. He's like, Christ will be of no advantage to you. You will be obligated to keep the whole law. You're severed from Christ, fallen from grace, under a curse, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Is it important that we know what it means to walk by the Spirit? It is crucial, this is the heart of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. He paid an enormous price so that God's spirit could dwell within us. That's what Jesus purchased. That's what gives us eternal life. That is what fulfills the righteous requirements of the law. That is what enables us to be able to live for an eternity with God in heaven. What Jesus did on the cross, he purchased the ability for God's spirit to come and dwell in us. Galatians 5, 16 through 25. We're honing in on the spirit this morning. So when we read through this passage, just pick out spirit. And it's amazing how many times Paul talks about the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God. Galatians 5:16 through25. And he starts off by saying, "But I say, walk by the Spirit. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh." One of the most powerful statements in the Bible, one of the most powerful statements, If the law fulfilled the righteous, if, the, if the law fulfilled the righteous requirements and transformed our lives, it would have been back, done back on Mount Sinai. Moses could have just been like, hey, after got the law, he could have said, it is finished. But he didn't say that. Jesus said, it is finished. He says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This is the new creation. This is transformation. This is victory and this is life and this is freedom. Because Paul recognizes there's this battle going on within us between our flesh, the part of us that existed before we were saved, it's not done away with until our body dies. That flesh is present and is active and our pleasures are trying to push themselves, manifest themselves in everything that we do. It's a battle when we become a Christian. But this here, Paul's given us freedom. He says, for, for freedom, Christ has set you free so that you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I cannot do that. I fell at that every single day. I cannot do that and you cannot do that. And yet we try to over and over again. Knew this was going to be a crying day because one of the songs had me crying up there earlier. That's a victory over in life. Because he says, you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. There's nothing in our lives that desires God, that desires good. But then he says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. This is the cool thing. Even though they're battling back and forth, it says right there, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Even though they're battling, which one did it say will win? The spirit. The spirit. That's what we've got to grasp hold of is that even though this battle is taking, is taking place in our lives, if we are walking by the Spirit, the flesh will not and cannot win. It is done. It is finished in our lives when we walk by the Spirit. Done. And it says, to the. Your flesh tries to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. This is our life without Christ. Guaranteed, every day, if you are not walking in the Spirit, this is the only alternative. There is not a neutral life. You are one or the other. You're walking in the Spirit or you're walking in the flesh. If you're walking in the flesh, this is what your life is gonna be characterized. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and this is not the complete list. It says, and things like these. The list goes on and on and on. He says, I warned you, same way my mom called me and warned me, I warned you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Is it important that we learn to walk by the Spirit? Essential, there is not another option. This is our only chance at hope. This is our only option for joy. Is if we walk by the Spirit. If we walk by the Spirit. He goes on in verse 22, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, once again, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified, or against these there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. This is what I want to hone in, guys, you you guys, is is on the the Spirit of God this morning. And on three things specifically, because he says walk in the Spirit, and then he says, be led by the Spirit. And then he talks about fruit of the Spirit. And there's a couple other ones in there that, that kind of are saying the same things in different ways. But I'm going to hone in on these three things this morning. I am not an English major, scholar, or anything else. So if there's any English teachers in here, please don't send me hate mail. But when I was, when I was looking at this passage, it is my understanding that the word, it says, uh, it says uh, walk by the Spirit. I understand that word by to be a preposition. And a preposition shows the relationship between a noun or a pronoun with something, another word in that sentence. And that's what I wanna know about. I wanna know about what is our relationship with God through the Holy Spirit? What what does that relationship look like? I want to know. I have to know. I'm desperate to know. People in this world are desperate to know. We got to know what walking in the Spirit is. We fail if we do not know. What is walking by the Spirit? I'm going to give you a couple of options for this preposition by. What does by mean? By has a lot of nuances, and I want you. Actually, I'll give you a couple of these nuances, and we'll give you a little quiz. I'm going to let you pick out of these three options of what by can mean. I want you to pick one, and this is like the Holy Grail. Remember uh, when uh, uh, Indiana Jones he went to go get the Holy Grail? And there's that knight in there, and he said, what did he say? Choose wisely, because only one brings life, and all the rest bring death. It is important that we know what by means. So you get three options this morning, and you choose one. Don't choose wrongly. No pressure. So one is by, as in to go by or to pass by. That's what by can mean. That's option A. Option B, door B, can mean, um, let me see, it can mean next to. Got it? So first off, we got option A is to go by, to pass by. Option B is when you're by something, that means you are next to something. And then option C, option C is by means of. I know, it sounds really weird, you're kinda of like, this is really weird, this is English stuff. I told you, I'm apologizing to all you English majors because you're gonna, you're gonna shoot me hate mail saying this is all wrong. Did you get it? Door A, it means that you're like passing or going by, option B is next to, and option three is by means of. I know, it sounds crazy. Which door did you pick? If you chose A, raise your, no, I won't, I won't make you raise your hands. In your mind, in your heart, raise your hand just internally. We won't publicly shame you. Did you raise your hand for A? Did you raise your hand for B? All those internally raise your hands? I see those hearts. Thank you. (laughs) Then option C, who raised their hands in that one? To go by, if you picked A and B, you are wrong. (laughs) I'll just tell you right now. And I'm going to tell you why you are wrong. To go or pass by, it's like when Una, she called me up yesterday and she was like, hey John, can you go by family fair and pick up some stuff that we need and you can bring it home? Problem with going by is what? You just go by and I'm just picking up what I need and then I'm going home. A majority of my life is not, it feels like this sometimes, is not lived at family fair or Walmart or Myers. That's the problem with passing by. A lot of Christians, a majority of Christians, live their lives passing by the Holy Spirit. They go and they pick up what they need at church every once in a while. They get a loaf of friendship. They get a a gallon of morals for their rotten scoundrel kids. And they go home. Good to go. Filled my needs. We do not want a relationship with the Holy Spirit that passes by. The second option, door number two, is next to. It's like, imagine Eunice and I walking down the road next to each other. That's kind of a romantic thing. I mean, that's kind of a, that makes you feel warm and fuzzy about our relationship with God, you know, and our relationship with the Holy Spirit. We're just, we're kind of walking down the road together. You know, that sounds good. I think that this could have been like a popularized back by the guy who did the bumper sticker that says, Jesus is my co-pilot. Do you remember that one? Jesus is my co-pilot. I was like, that is so wrong. The thing with walking by the Spirit is it kind of insinuates that you are in control or at least partial control. Although I was thinking about it afterwards, I was like, if the guy who wrote that bumper sticker, you know, Jesus is my co-pilot, if he was married, that actually meant Jesus was in control, right? Did y'all get that? That was just, all you guys get it. All the guys laughed, none of the women did. When we are walking by or next to, like Eunice and I walking down the road, we're holding hands, and you've done this for all of you married or dating folks, one of you pulls and you both kind of gradually go that way. Then the other one pulls and you kind of go that way. It's kind of a give and take relationship. And this is where we love camping out in our faith. We love camping out here. Because we're close to the Spirit, we're associated with the Spirit, it looks like we are walking with, walking by the Spirit, but it's just next to. And that's it. My brother Matt Lawson challenged me this week. And I love this verse he challenged me with because I think it is a perfect example of why option A and option B are totally wrong. Examples of talking about our walk with God. he, uh, He mentioned Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And it's a great passage talking about walking with the Spirit. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. It means all of our passions, our fears, failures, insecurities, hopes, dreams, everything. Trust in God with all of our heart. Lean not on your own understanding. This is the clincher. Lean not on your own understanding. And this is what Matt was challenging me with. And I was like, "Yes, so true, brother. He's like, when we, a lot of times when we say lean not on your own understanding, that means when we don't understand, we go to God. When we don't understand is when we go and say, "Hey God, I don't know what to do. Tell me now." That is passing by. That is passing by. That is that is walking next to. That's not that's not God in charge. That's not spirit in charge. That is saying that 95% of the time I know what to do and I'm going to trust you with that other 5% of my life. That this passage right here doesn't say that. It says it says "lean not on my own understanding." That is for, uh, you never it's, it's when you don't know versus you never know. It's not that we sometimes do know and we need God for the leftover. This is like, in your own understanding, you never know what to do. You are constantly reliant and dependent on the Holy Spirit. Do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. That is what it means to walk in the Spirit. Let's flesh this out a little bit more. By, me is, by means means of. Is that confusing enough for you? By means, means of. If you tell me you're going for a walk, Vern, if I say, hey Vern, you're going for a walk today, just say yes for the fun of it. Yeah. Thanks. How are you going? By means of what? Are you going for a walk? Thank you. I actually didn't expect you to get the right answer. Yeah, by your feet or legs. I thought he'd look at me crazy and just be like, by means of, you know, it's a weird question. No one asks when you go for a walk, by means of what are you going for a walk? Because just by virtue of you walking, we assume that you will be using your legs and your feet in order to accomplish that task. In the same way, when Paul is saying walk by the Spirit, he's saying there is no other way to walk. You cannot walk any other way than by the Spirit. You are completely dependent upon him for getting you anywhere that you are going to go. You cannot go anywhere without the Spirit, except to death. By means of means this, that just as you are wholly and completely dependent on your legs to get you anywhere, You are completely and wholly dependent on the Holy Spirit to accomplish anything good and righteous and holy in your spiritual walk. Walking with the Spirit demands complete and utter dependence. And I do not think we know what dependence is because it goes against the American dream. We dream of independence. That is our goal in life, to live our life in such a way, especially at the end of it, that we can do whatever we want. That's why we live. That's what we're we're trying to accomplish. Independence. Dependence doesn't come natural to us. That's part of our flesh. And it says, walking with the Spirit demands complete and utter dependence on God and his Spirit. And this is not just us as Christians. We do not realize how Much, Not just us as Christians, but the whole world is dependent on God. Get this, all of creation, Job 34, 14 through 15 says this. It says, if God, or if he, God, put his mind to it and withdrew the spirit and the breath that he gave, every living thing would perish together, mankind would return to the dust. If God were to hold his breath, some of you guys write a song about this. God were to hold his breath. Just do this. <gasps> like if I hold my breath, like when I build a house or something or a house of cards, I'm like holding my breath, hoping it stays up. But if God were to hold his breath, it says the whole thing will collapse. Everything in creation depends on God's breath. Deism, which a lot of Christians, you know, back in the day especially, and I think still today some, deists believe that God set the world to spinning just like like a basketball on your finger, walked away and just left it up there. But this verse says that God, if he walked away, that would cease to exist. We are completely, all of creation is completely and wholly dependent on God for every moment that we exist and live. Not only is all of creation dependent on God, but we as Christians are totally dependent on the Spirit because of the gospel. Like Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, grace, By grace are you saved through faith, and that is uh, not of yourselves, but the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's a work of God, completely dependent on God's spirit. This was the estate. This was the condition that we, uh, we own in our independence. This is your independent state that you live in without God's spirit. This is what Scripture says. It says, we are children of disobedience. We are dead in trespasses and sins. We are lost. We're perishing. We're condemned. We're under the wrath of God. We're blind. Uh, We're in the powers of darkness. We love spiritual darkness. And we're under the control of Satan. Is that where we want to live? This is what I'm trying to communicate to all of us this morning. The same way we are dependent on the Spirit for physical life, is the same way that we are dependent on the spirit for our new life in Christ and that is the same way that we are dependent on the spirit to walk in this new life that God has given us and bear fruit that's why in verse 2 here or um, verse 18 rather it says another way it says of walking by the spirit it says be led by the spirit and this is going to reveal my the evilness and wickedness of my heart because when i was trying to think of an example of, of how to illustrate this, the first thing that came to my mind of being led by the Spirit was a guy walking down his, uh, a road with a dog that is like three times as big of him. And have you seen those pictures? You know, a guy's leading the dog, and the dog, the guy's not leading the dog, the dog's leading him, him, you know? And you're just kind of like, you're like, whoa, you know, and just kind of like getting, trying to get the dog under control, and that's like a totally negative illustration because I think that's where a lot of us live. When the Spirit actually starts taking control of our lives, I think that's our reaction, and it's negative. We're like, whoa, you know, don't, don't go. We want, we want the holding hands. We want the passing by. We don't want this, you know, led by the Spirit thing and getting pulled away. That's kind of a negative experience or a negative example. What I want to share with you is my boy, John. Uh, he probably prefer I called him John Piper because I don't really know him. John Piper has an illustration that finally, like, hit home in my heart and my spirit. my heart was like drawn to it. I was like, that is the image I can hold on to that shows me how I'm supposed to live my life in the Spirit. And he says this. John said this. He says, uh, he asked a question, is walking with the Spirit and being led by the Spirit, is it more like a pace car in the Daytona 500 or is it more like a locomotive in the train? I'm giving you two more options. One is death, one is life. Choose wisely once again. How many of you picked Daytona 500 pace car? You died. How many of you picked locomotive train? You live. I'm glad you picked that. Hopefully all of you did. This is what he says. He says, the spirit is not a leader like the pace car in the Daytona 500. He is a leader like a locomotive on a train. We do not follow in our own strength. We cannot follow in our own strength. That's what you do in the Daytona 500. You got a car that's setting the pace and you're just keeping up. In your own car, with your own gas and your own engine, your own steering wheel. That's not how we live the Christian life. He says this the Spirit is not like a leader in the Daytona 500. He is a leader like a locomotive on a train. We do not follow in our own strength. We are led by His power. So we walk by the Spirit, means stay hooked up to the divine source of power and go wherever he leads. That is a great image because we cannot battle the flesh on our own. We did not accomplish our salvation on our own. We can't battle our flesh on our own. We are completely and wholly dependent on the spirit to do that. John Piper continues, he says, it means that when we are led by the locomotive of the spirit, we cruise on the railroad track of the law we cruise on the railroad track of the law. That is a beautiful picture of the liberty that you have. We, it says we no longer try to climb the law ladders, like it's a ladder from the, from the bottom up. We're now, that ladder's been thrown down on the ground. It is now a track that we are riding on. That is a beautiful picture of the freedom that we have through Christ Jesus and the sacrifice he did on, this, uh, on the cross to purchase the ability for the Spirit of God to come and dwell with us. The law is no longer a hindrance. It is part of the means of getting us to where we need to go and accomplishing God's will in our lives. He says, he says, we cruise on the railroad track of the law as a joyful way of life and are not left to climb the ladder on our own strength from underneath. He says, when we are led by the Spirit, we are not under the punishment or the opposition of the law because what the law requires, what the law requires, the Spirit produces in our lives. What the lo- Everybody say that. What the law requires, the Spirit produces. You ready? I gave you a heads up. What the law requires, the Spirit produces. If we don't have the Spirit, the law is not fulfilled in us, like it says in Romans. We do not follow in our own strength. We are led in his power, complete dependence. Even the fruit that comes from our life is dependent on the Spirit. I don't have a whole lot of time. Actually, I have no time to go into this today. But I, th- I want to tell you that we can manufacture fruit super easy. 1 Corinthians 13 talks a whole lot about that. It says... You know, if I speak in tongues, you know, I can speak in tongue, but not have not love. Resounding brass and clanging cymbal. It goes on, it's talk about giving away all my wealth to the poor. Even if I lay down my body, lay down my body, there's a lot of things. You know, give it for someone else. There's a lot of things that look like God's love. I can imitate those things. My mom used to have some uh, really cool grapes on our table at home eat them, you would have died because they were electrified. They had glass in them. They had little lights. They were really cool to look at, but they were not life-giving and life-sustaining. We can manufacture a lot of fruit, but it is not the fruit of the Spirit. This is what scares me to death because if I put a percentage on the fruit coming out of my life, the fruit that is produced by me, that is, that is by me to the people that I want in the time that I want in the way that I want, that's all for me, if I put a percentage on that, I would say 95, probably 99, I'm trying to be nice to myself is my own fruit, when it's done in my way, in my time and to the people I will in the way I want. That scared me, thinking that it's possible to live my whole life and for you to think that there was a lot of fruit from my life and there was not actually a single ounce of it that terrifies me. It is possible to undertake the most sacrificial acts imaginable for other people and still not please God. The problem, and Piper says this again, the problem in contemporary Christian living is not learning the right things to do, but how to do the right things. The problem is not to discover what love looks like. That's not our goal, to discover what love looks like but how to love by the Spirit. The goal is not to discover what love looks like, but how to love by the Spirit. I've got my own ideas about what you need, how you need it, when you need it. But the Spirit knows better. Closing things, just two things real quick in closing. We're just scratching the surface of this Spirit thing and I want to delve into this more, because this gives life. But two things shook me this week. One thing was a guy named Joshua Harris, which some of you might have known. He wrote a book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye, and he was a pastor, and he walked away from the faith this last week. He divorced his wife, renounced his faith, apologized to everyone for all of his Christian beliefs that they might have perceived as as being, uh, you know, uh, unloving. He walked away from the faith. That shook me. Another thing that shook me this week is a, a gentleman by the name of Dan Hawker lost his battle with depression. I didn't know either one of these guys, but for some reason it like hit me hard. I know a lot of you guys did. I think, Dan was Dan in your wedding, Matt? Yeah. Yeah. Dave, Dave Hawker, I'm sorry, Dave Hawker. I didn't know either one of these guys but it almost rocked my world. And I think the reason why is because as I was looking at them, it's really easy to say that could have been me. That could have been me. We've gotta stop saying that could have been me or that could have been someone else. We gotta start saying that is me. That is you. When we do not walk according to the spirit. That is me, that's why it rattles us because I think we all recognize how close to that line that we are walking in our flesh and spirit. We want want just enough God to get through, but not so much that we give up our independence, not so much that we have to alter our course, not so much that we have to go and talk with someone that we don't want to or to love someone in a way that only God's spirit can tell us because that requires dependence. That scares me. My brother, Matt, gave me, he gave me this text this week, and I'm going to read it to you. And it says, why is it that we as believers claim to have access to the power that raised Christ from the dead, but we refuse to apply it to the struggles in life? We do not put value on winning the small battles in life with fear and anxiety, and we walk out the door each day as if we are not under attack, as if we don't need the armor of God, and somehow he's left us to figure it out on our own. Why do we claim to be part of the body but refuse to step beyond our comfort zones and pride into a relationship that God has designed to share the load, to take the load? He is the locomotive. He pulls it. The load is is not ours to bear. We cannot. God, forgive me for not giving value to the small battles and for leaning on my own understanding. Lord, my heart is broken. Keep my anger righteous and the truth ever before me. The truth is that the world desperately needs God's fruit, And we need to walk in a daily dependence on God, shackling up our car to the locomotive of his spirit, and love people in a way that only God's spirit can inspire in our life. And then a little bit further on it says, Paul says, live by the spirit. Only in the spirit is there life.